All right. All right. Uh, so Shane. Mr. Shane, what are some like, reasons you... Hang on, I got this, I got this. Okay. Live from the Mundangerous Meditation Room in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 164 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're returning to Eberron to talk about playing Kalashtar. But first, the rogue traders make dinner plans in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the Mind Hunter tracks body and soul in the Character Creation Forge. So, Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Kobold Press. Cobalt uh, Press has the Creature Codex, which brings you nearly 400 new foes for 5th edition. Everything from acid ants to zombie lords. Uh, maybe some Rob zombie lords. Those those would be fun. Oh, I would fight those. Some white some white zombie? R.I.P. I, th- I guess they're not dead. They just quit. D&D is basically about letting the bodies hit the floor. That's different. That's Drowning Pool. <laughs> it's also Rob Zombie. There are a dozen <laughs> new demons and five new angels, wasteland dragons, and dinosaurs. All new golems, including the Altar Flame Golem, the Doom Golem, and the Keg Golem. Wait, can I just be clear here? Rob Zombie is not a member of Drowning Pool. No, no, but he had that song that was Let the Body Sit the Floor. That was Drowning Pool. Then Rob Zombie did a version of it. <laughs> In what, 2000? How about this? How about this? Wait, wait, wait. Look, look, I don't want to get into this. Uh, D&D is basically about being more human than human. Oh, okay, we there could, you go. We could <laughs> take it. All right. The good folks at Cobalt Press are paying us to actually read this. So uh, <laughs> Eventually. You can also find elemental lords, animal lords to challenge powerful parties. You can get chieftains and other leaders for rat folk, for centaurs, for goblins, trollkin, and more. Why is it that it's trollkin but not troll folk? Why not ratkin? Or goblin folk. Oh, it's because uh, rat folk are elevated rats, but trollkin are just like trolls and affiliated races, right? So like rat rats exist and rat folk implies they're like humanized rats. Oh, so trollkin are troll adjacent. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like ah. they would be goblin kin if that didn't sound stupid. We call them goblinoids right, good job, instead. Kobold Press. All right, you've got new undead, including... A Hierophant Lich to menace lower-level characters. You know, uh, high-level liches can menace uh, lower-level characters, too. Yeah, it's, it's just less fun for the characters. <laughs> this, <laughs> this gives them a chance of being successful against that lich. <laughs> so, uh, the Creature Codex was also uh, designed by one James Intracasso of Don't Split the Podcast Network fame. Yeah, you can use these monsters in your favorite published setting, like Eberron, for example, or you can populate the dungeons in a world of your own creation. So pick up the Creature Codex on the Cobalt Press website, link in the show notes, and surprise your players with monsters they will not be expecting. And once again, Rob Zombie, not a member of Drowning Pool. Speaking of drowning, floundering perhaps, not really knowing where to go or what to do, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? 
So the Dynasty and Warranty Campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the lush and fertile world of Malajact, the rogue traders and the survivors of their two best companies of armsmen are relaxing in the Verza House, the beautiful fortress manor of Lord Harlock. And they are kicking it on its grounds some few thousand years prior to the desperate defense of its abandoned shell. Oh yeah, we're like kicking back, relaxing, all cool. It's disconcerting though, because I mean, 10 minutes ago, the whole world was dead. Why is it not now? I mean, don't get me wrong. This is better, but it's not going to last. Oh, well, it's no, obviously it's not going to last because eventually this world will be exterminatist and destroyed. <laughs> and <laughs> but as, perhaps by our actions. As you walk the grounds with Harlock and his attendant, Jack, uh, he, he basically confirms that for you that, yes, you are uh, you are not in the 41st millennium anymore, um, nor are you the first group to make such a journey in fact uh your quarry the fallen dark angel lord cypher has made the same visit himself and probably to much better effect because much to our display harlock turns the conversation mm, a bit heretical explaining that according to him anyway there are forces in the galaxy stronger than the emperor who weave fate and time to their intentions you know just saying that shane it makes me think you're gonna give my character corruption <laughs> for out for out of character talk. <laughs> well, your character's getting insanity for saying display instead of dismay. Oh. Look, I've had a few drinks. It's fine. <laughs> uh yeah, and of course, you know, this uh this heretical talk of greater forces and manipulation of fate and time and um, you know, all of these other things. This is pretty disturbing to the rogue traders. Um and they do, like at this point, you guys ask Harlock like you talk about this stuff. You talk about fate and time and, and manipulation and, and and that power. But do you know what's going to happen to Malajak? Like, it doesn't turn out well. And he's like, yeah, no, I do. Like, the planet's going to be destroyed. All of the people here, including myself, will be killed or hopelessly mutated. Uh, and the only thing that's going to remain here is basically my fortress, uh, which will be my legacy. And all of... My subjects and myself will be fated to protect it from any visitors who approach. You know, he seems like a pretty faithful servant of the Emperor, except for that, you know, minor heretical stuff that he said a little while ago. Doesn't seem like all that bad a guy. Oh, wait, the corruption has already begun. Look at me. <laughs> uh, you guys really do implore him, though. Like... I, you know, you 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 made multiple good runs at at sort of testing his philosophy, and uh, he is just too fatalistic. Like, you're right though; he is sort of heretical, but it's also kind of coming from a weird place of like, you know, it, it's not explicitly that the emperor doesn't protect; it's just that this is the path that he has to follow. Right. It's not that the emperor doesn't protect; it's that the emperor didn't protect in this particular instance and he knows that because people keep coming back from the future to say that <laughs> bad things happen right exactly so he he's got this sort of uh broader than human view i suppose or at least broader than imperial human view that like there is a reason for this and uh and i have to play my part all right so we can't convince harlock to do anything differently or to try to avoid this fate for the entire planet and himself, but we can sit down to a really nice dinner. So we do. Yeah. 
And uh, rather than wasting time trying to convince him, you decide to learn something useful, uh, particularly about your quarry, Lord Cypher. And we'll find out what we learn next week. So this week, we are talking about how to play Kalishtar. Now, Kalishtar are one of the races that were created for the Eberron campaign setting, uh, which means they are now part of the um, 5th edition Eberron material uh, provided in Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron. Yeah, look at us. We've got rules and stuff now. Yeah, <laughs> real rules, so we can talk about them like <laughs> adults. <laughs> um, so, Ishan, I haven't read Wayfinder's. Tell me about the Kalistar. Who are they? What do they do? Why do I care about them? Okay, just to clarify, Shane, you have read Wayfinders, but I think you are speaking from the hypothetical perspective of a person who is not. Yes. Also, I literally <laughs> have not read that section of Wayfinders, though. Okay. okay. <laughs> Where you just skip to the mechanics. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. I mean, their background didn't change. It's fine. Okay, so aside from Warforged, this is the first race that we've covered that are so closely tied to a single campaign setting. So in Eberron, Kalishtar are a psionically powerful race formed from the union of humans and spirits from the Plane of Dreams. Uh, some of you may know that's called Dalkor. So uh, Kalishtar look almost like humans, but, you know, as these races kind of do, um, they're a little more attractive and they're a little bit taller. They tend to have this calm, controlled presence about them. And their dual-natured soul causes conflict within them because they see flashes of the immortal spirit's life that occurred before the bonding. So there are these strange scenes from the land of dreams, whether that's imagined horrors or amazing wonders. Yeah, and Kalistar are from the mountainous fortress refuge of Adar on the continent Sarlona, um, which isn't a well-covered place in Eberron. Um, like there's a, there's a big kind of open space there. But in Corvair, where most games take place, uh, they live in small communities sort of dotted across the five nations. Yeah, we actually didn't talk about Sarlona all that much when we covered the Eberron campaign setting. It is super cool. It's just there's so much in Corvair and Wayfinders actually barely touches on Sarlona. So I'm probably one of these days we'll talk a lot more about it. Mm -hmm. So Kalistar first appeared, like Shane said, in the original Eberron campaign setting in 2004. They were mostly unchanged in 4E, also in the Eberron campaign setting. Yeah, and now they're in the Wayfinder's Guide playtest, which will ultimately be the final Wayfinder's Guide, um, probably unchanged. All right, so un unlike something like goblins or orcs, uh, Kalashtar, because they specifically come from Eberron, even though you know you, they can be ported over, uh, they have a like very detailed racial and cultural history that's very specific to Eberron. So the Kalashtar are... Uh, human mortal vessels for immortal spirits from Dalkor, the plane of dreams. Right now, the essence of that plane, called Il Lashtavar, or the Dreaming Dark, which is something you may have heard uh, because Keith Baker wrote a series of novels about it, uh, it's an evil and corrupt entity, as are most of the spirits who inhabit that plane. So a few thousand years ago, there was a small band of rebel spirits, led by Teratai, who escaped through the dreams of mortals, and for years they hopped through the minds of sleeping dragons and giants and elves, and they finally came across a community of monks in Adar, in Sarlona, who agreed to permanently bond their souls together with the spirits so that they could stay safely in the material plane, and these became the first Kalashtar. So, as these monks had children, their spirits were spread across, like, descendants, and kind of split these descendants have formed family lines 
um, from the original, and there are 67 of those spirits. But in the millennia since, the Dreaming Dark has been pursuing them. Ilashtavar manipulated the dreams of the leaders of Sarlona and threw it into civil war. Then, they spent generations creating human vessels for them to possess, called the Inspired, which are a bit like Kalashtar, except that there's no bonding, they just possess these people. And now the Inspired serve as leaders of the Nation of Riedja, which basically covers all of the continent of Sarlona. It's an authoritarian state that keeps the entire population under low-level mind control. So Riedjan assassins hunted down and killed every single descendant of Teratai, which means her spirit is now lost. The rest of the Kalashtar and Eberron are fighting a constant struggle against Ilashtavar and the puppet nation Riedra, which has the sole goal of killing every single member of the species. So to throw this into the kind of macro context of Eberron, right? Like you have all the human nations on Corvair that are fighting each other um, for the throne. The day of mourning happens. Um, at the same time, there's sort of this shadow war going on in the communities of Kalishtar uh, against these Riedrin assassins that are pursuing them. Um, the day of mourning happens. That doesn't stop the assassins at all. <laughs> like uh, That's still a problem that's going to affect the Kalishtar and may even create incidents that bubble up to like the national level in Corvair on its own. Yeah, totally. Uh, we've talked before. One of the things we love about Eberron is so many things are happening and you can incorporate so many different storylines into your game. Like the morning is a is a big deal, but you, you can have an Eberron game that has nothing to do with the day of morning. You know, you could be dealing with dragons and Arganesson, giants and Zendrik, uh, or this entire other continent of um, people who are basically being mind controlled and, uh, you know, led by these uh, people who have been possessed by spirits from the land of dreams uh, the 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 way it ties into Kalishtar is that Riedra is not an allied nation with the nations of Corvair, but Riedra did offer a lot of like monetary assistance during the last war to many different nations. So every nation has a Riedrian ambassador and like an enclave of people from Riedra who the Kalishtar and Corvair know are uh, secret assassins who are trying to mind control entire populations of people. Nobody else knows that though. So they're basically the Swiss. Yes, that's right. I'm sure all Kalashtar are required to own firearms or wands. <laughs> I, su- I suppose it's actually more like America in World War One, right? No, no. I like I like the Swiss analogy. Um, no, we are simply humble Kalashtar who make chocolate. I have. <laughs> well, a, would you like a clock? Humble reagents. <laughs> <laughs> So hackneyed comparisons to Euro European ethnocentrism aside, in true Tolkien fashion, uh, what are some reasons to play Kalishtar? Well, like we just said, um, you're facing an entire nation as a small community of refugees. So maybe you like playing the underdog. No matter the plot of the Eberron campaign that you're playing, the Dreaming Dark still wants to kill you. It's always there in the background. It's also possible that you want to take the fight to them. Like maybe you just want a built-in goal for your character. So the Kalashtar fight the Dreaming Dark either by confronting it directly in combat. Um, you know, maybe that's part of the game. You know, you're fighting agents of the Dreaming Dark uh, specifically. Or uh, they also combat it by living and meditating on, you know, order and justice. Because their religion, the Path of Light, says that this kind of meditation eventually brings about this revolution in the plane of dreams which destroys the dreaming dark and actually all the 
Kalistar as well and creates uh, a new better essence for the plane. Now, that's, that's sort of the end goal for all the Kalistar. Um, but you can pursue some other agenda, you know, fighting the uh, Lords of Dust or, you know, helping the dragons or, you know, just being an inquisitive while uh, trying to like just live well and hope that that also fights the Dreaming Dark. Either approach works in a game. They're also a great race to play if you would like to be in the world, but not of the world. Uh, Kalistar are always kind of removed from the other races of Corvair, except for other Kalistar, mostly because like Corvair isn't really your home and you might not even be welcome in certain places in Corvair. Yeah, like, and even if you're playing a game in Sarlona or like in Adar, like Eberron is not really your home, right? But uh, neither is Dalcor. Like you are a dual natured being um, of both like mortal and immortal form. You don't really belong anywhere. You're always an outsider. Kalistar are also particularly strong-willed in combat. Um, so whether you fight melee or you're a spellcaster, um, you will have a formidable mind. That also means uh, that Kalistar are great if you want to be psionic. They are the best way to start as a telepath. Also, if you want to play a monk, Kalistar are a great option, especially if you are in the kind of game where you've got a GM who just like doesn't really like the monk class or doesn't really understand how it fits with their vision of the setting. Kalistar are specifically from a far off place and they do the whole monk thing because they're trying to keep this dual natured spirit uh, within them contained. Uh, so it, it makes sense why they seem a little weird. They seem a little off putting, um, but there's a reason why they're here in your medieval fantasy setting. All right. So let's talk a bit about their physiology. And as we say, every time we do an installment in this series, when we talk about like what a Kalistar is or what you might do, we're of course speaking in generalities. Your particular player character might be very different. So think about, you know, we're going to be talking about what the average sort of like baseline Kalistar does. Think about, uh, are you normal? Are you average in that way? Or are you abnormal? Are you, are you very different from everyone else? So Kalistar physiology are basically human in form. Um, the main difference between humans and Kalistar is in the mind and soul. And it's also important to note that the quarry spirit is not possessing a Kalistar. They were mixed when the... Adaran monks bonded thousands of years ago. They can't be separated. Like one side doesn't control the other. They're like truly merged. So the Kalistar don't see their spirit as like a separate entity. They see it as themselves. Now, this makes them more resistant to attacks that target the mind. Maybe that's a possession or charms or trickery. It also makes them more resistant to things like psychic damage. Uh, now, in your game, you kind of want to think about what does it mean to be resistant to psychic damage? Okay, sure, it means that you take less damage from certain kinds of magical attacks. Uh, but I would think in a, in a setting like Eberron, if you fought in the last war, which is very likely, maybe you're more resistant to things like PTSD. You know, like a Kalistar mind is less likely to break, but it is probably more likely to bend maybe in alien kind of ways. Yeah. Also like just setbacks, right? Like I feel like there's a lot of times in campaigns where the party has a big setback and, and the characters are reeling. The Kalistar doesn't do that. <laughs> you know, like they're the ones who can endure that kind of, uh, of distress. 
Yeah, it's important to remember that this spirit that you have been bonded with is immortal. It's been around for at least 40,000 years. Like it has these memories that stretch back. Since you were a baby, you have had memories of um, things that happened in far off places a long time ago. You're, you're sort of like born literally an old soul, you know? Um, Kalistar should sort of seem like uh, they are wise beyond their years. Also, a weird side effect of um, being bonded with a spirit from Dalcor is that they don't dream. So in order for the human bodies to be a safe place for the rebel spirits, the monks had to cut themselves off from dreams. So Kalishtar don't dream. Uh, sleep is instead a time when memories of uh, the spirit's life resurface. So there's no chance to order the mind, you know, what humans do when, the, when they sleep. So that has to happen while they're awake, through meditation or through combat training. It also means uh, that Kalishtar are a bit more prone to madness than like normal humans. Uh, they just don't have that time to really get their mental affairs in order. And so if their training is interrupted or, or they just haven't had um, enough sort of downtime to focus themselves, things can get out of hand. So then in terms of culture, Kalishtar tend to live in small and close-knit communities. They're always concerned about their war against the Dreaming Dark, right? So... They have to keep a low profile and avoid drawing undue attention to the group. Um, they lean on each other in order to keep each other safe. Yeah, and because they're always essentially at war or like prepping for war, you know, you never know when the Dreaming Dark could attack. Every action tends to have a purpose. You know, they have an undeserved reputation for asceticism. It's not that Kalishtar don't drink or, you know, get inebriated. It's just that you'll rarely see one who's incapacitated because if you do that, you tend to get assassinated. Uh, but Kalistar themselves don't really see anything wrong with pleasure as long as it's not distracting them from <laughs> watching their own backs. Right. Um, also, they leverage telepathic communication. Yeah, I think that probably makes um, bonds very close. Um, I, I bet there's less misunderstanding between um, a Kalistar who are close to one another because you can use not only words and, and song, but telepathic communication, telepathic imagery. Yeah, but in terms of relating with outsiders, you might have lower emotional intelligence because telepathy is kind of a cheat for, for emotion, right? Like you just get it. <laughs> so having to interpret that from a conversation from, from an outsider might be more difficult. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Uh, Kalistar can telepathically communicate with other creatures too, even if those creatures aren't telepathic. But I bet like one who's kind of new at it is probably almost like sending a cacophony of images into someone else's brain. You know, because they don't really know how to regulate it. Because like, I don't really know how to talk to someone who doesn't know how to process this stuff all the time. Right. Or sometimes, you know, Kalistar can't use telepathy because that would be um, dangerous or revealing or whatever, right? Yeah, you got to now, like, I'm I'm undercover, right? If I use telepathy, it's pretty obvious right. who I am. Um, now I have to rely on these words. It's, uh, it's so um, clumsy, this kind of communication. So Kalistar names specifically, um, I'm speaking of keeping a low profile, honestly, like, the, the names <laughs> never make any sense to me because it's so obvious that you're a Kalistar. Mm -hmm. uh, the the Cory spirit's name is appended uh, to the end of the mortal name as a suffix. So Lanharath is a Kalishtar name. That is Lan, the human, who is bonded with the spirit Harath. He has a brother, Malharath. 
every Kalistar name is going to have sort of two parts. Yeah, it's basically they only need one name. Their last name is just their spirit name, which means if you run into somebody with that name, they're a Kalistar. They should be killed by the Dreaming Dark. Or, hey, we have the same, like, last half of our names. Um, we know each other. We, we like, share part right. of the same soul. Right. <laughs> so, Kalistar Society, um, like, the the broad Kalistar Society, is primarily, you know, monks living in Adar and not usually outgoing, adventuring Kalistar. You've got this other group of them um, who follow the Path of Light, and that's Kalistar who are trying to bring about this new age in Dalkor through right living and meditation. They are probably the ones who are living in, you know, smaller enclaves, just, just sort of doing like the regular actions that keep a community going, you know, living relatively normal lives. They might be adventurers um, who might be, you know, things like clerics or maybe like low level science. They're probably not super combat oriented. And then in contrast, the Path of Shadows is the more um, combat-oriented. They are psychic warriors, they are monks, they are scions or soul blades. Um, They're basically waging war on the front line against the Dreaming Dark. Yeah, this is your sort of like prototypical Kalashdar adventurer. Like, okay, I'm with this party. They may not all be Kalashdar. We're sort of pursuing larger goals or making the world a better place. Or I'm, you know, trying to collect information for my own particular task. Uh, but if I get information about uh, like a secret reagent, okay, I'm going to leverage the rest of the party and we're going to go conduct an assassination. In terms of religion, uh, Kalashdar follow the path of light. Mm, it is uh, sort of akin to the uh, Aranal Elves and the Undying Court. Um, It's sort of like this single uh, entity that they uh, worship. It's really more of a philosophy than a religion, uh, but it is good and noble and lawful. Um, The rebel quarry who escaped uh, were those kinds of spirits. They they left uh, Dalcor specifically because the uh, spirits in Dalquar are, are like evil and, and corrupting and chaotic. You know, Ilashtavar is, according to legend, the third incarnation of the spirit of Dalquar, and it's an evil one. So the Path of Light teaches that one of these days, and no one really knows when or why or how exactly, um, the age will turn, all quarry will be destroyed, along with all the quarry who are inhabiting Kalashtar, and a new spirit of Dalquar will form, and this one will be good. So all Kalashtar efforts are toward bringing this revolution about and all of the Dreaming Dark efforts and therefore Readrian efforts are geared toward preventing it from happening. So in terms of family, um, Kalashtar families tend to be very, very close because you use telepathy to bond with those around you. Um, And there's two types of Kalashtar families. You have blood relations as well as quarry lines. So the way that those lines are passed. Uh, spirits are passed down based on the gender of a parent. So a male child will inherit their father's spirit. A female child will inherit their mother's spirit. So two brothers will always have the same spirit, um, likely the same as like their uncle or a cousin, but they'll never have their mother or sister uh, in the same spirit house. This sort of leads to... Um an interesting phenomenon among Kalashtar. And it was called a bit in Wayfinders, which I really liked, in that Kalashtar, both individually and as a, as a society, are pretty gender fluid because 
Each quarry, each immortal spirit has its own gender identity, male or female, but that doesn't necessarily have to match the mortal body that that spirit bonded with. So like canonically, Teratai, who was the leader of the rebel quarry, was female, but she bonded with the ma- with a male monk, which meant that because of the way that spirits are passed down, every uh, single member of Teratai's line was actually male with a female spirit. So you get you get into this interesting situation where um, it's not a weird thing for an individual Kalishtar to like present as uh, one sex and but, but have part of their soul identify as as a different one. Um, and in fact, it would be it would be really weird, or maybe even impossible, um, or other Kalishtar might view it as impossible for for example, you to see a female with. Um, a part to see a female who is part of the Teratai line, even though both of them match in terms of gender identity. So I think you get into this cool situation where it's not really canonical, but you can you can see how, uh, depending on how you decide, like the the spirit sort of get passed down from line to line. There's a there's a lot of um, options available for the way that like Kalistar might view something like gender identity like i i think it, it would be really interesting to for example have um, a character who's like a trans man so born physically female but identifies as a man uh, but has a male spirit like inherited a spirit from their father and i think you can sort of go two ways with that one it might be very confusing to the kalistar because like why how could a female body inherit a spirit from the male. It also could be just be very obvious from birth to the Kalashtar that, like, yes, you have a female body, but you're obviously a man. Like, you inherited a spirit from your father. The spirit knows who you actually are. Like, your soul, because souls uh, exist in everyone, like, your soul is male. That's why you got this particular spirit. It might just be like, well, duh, obviously we can all tell. Right. So, in terms of interactions, uh, Kalashtar obviously have a close bond to other Kalistar, right? Like you are each an important like combatant in the fight against the dreaming dark. Uh, so almost by definition, like any Kalistar you meet is an ally. And if you are somehow forced into conflict, you know, because of competing points of view or whatever, you would have to do pretty much everything to prevent killing them. Like you, you don't want to, weaken your side in the fight yeah like even if they're not helping you they serve as a vessel for the spirit and you know teratai is gone there are only 66 lines left um and there's no way to get them back you know you're not going to get any more rebel quarry from dalcor like you have a fight it's a finite resource yeah and you are also prone to meeting either uh your own long lost relatives or you know um relations of people you might meet um, simply because you know there are so few spirit lines, like you, you are likely meeting somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. Yeah, or you can you could run into a stranger technically, right? You don't you have no idea who this person is, but you share the same quarry line. So I mean, you're basically siblings, you know? Right. Um, then of course the flip side of that is the inspired, um, the agents of the dreaming dark, like they're your mortal enemies. So, uh, in the same way you would do anything to avoid killing a Kalishtar, 
you would do pretty much anything to kill or neutralize an inspired uh, if it were at all possible. Yeah, I think this is a nice opportunity for GMs to introduce tension into the game. Um, there are lots of ambassadors from Riedra in uh, many different nations, or really every nation in Corvair. Um, what happens if they meet your Kalistar character? They each probably knows who the other is or what the other is, right? And each absolutely wants to kill the other. Uh, but they probably can't right here in the middle of this court because that guy's a diplomat. Uh, and this person is the citizen of a different nation. So I don't know. Do we sneak around and stab each other in the dark? Um, do we, Are we very, very polite to each other, but just seething? Or are we communicating telepathically? <laughs> yeah. Are, are you sending each other death notes? <laughs> like with your <laughs> mind? <laughs> Greetings, good sir. It is so very nice to meet a fellow countryman. I'm going to stab you in the soul. <laughs> with other races of course uh, it, it's a much more detached um kind of connection you know there is such a requirement for kalistar to meditate and maintain control in order to keep their dual soul in check that kalistar often just appear either haughty or distant or detached to non-kalistar and i think as part of their kind of um approach to fighting the dreaming dark and also like in following the path of light like the it, it's important for them to be kind and generous to the innocent um which means they are sometimes forced into difficult choices right like do you try to win a battle or fight the war in the long term right and and likewise as you're fighting your war against the inspired and against the dreaming dark like what is the collateral damage to the innocent people around you who have no you know, no dog in that hunt. Uh, yeah, I mean, we talk about burn notice a lot, but this feels a lot to me. Like, you know, Michael Weston, who is in Miami, but not of Miami, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> I, like, I don't he's, know. He's, he's pretty CIA, of Miami. You know? <laughs> he, he never sweats in his suit. He's pretty <laughs> <Yeah>. of Miami. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. He's got the sunglasses, yes. <laughs> and the other sunglasses. But yeah, like they, they're very skilled, but they're also like good and good natured. They want to help people. Um, and you see that they get into these situations where, okay, Michael wants to find out who burned him. And like, I'm just about to get that. You know, this is the war that I'm fighting. Uh, but it's going to hurt like this random person I met yesterday who like I told I would help. And so do I like sort of shoot myself in the foot to help this person? Yeah, I probably do. Let's be honest. No, it's, it's not even some, somebody that like, Michael said he would help. It was somebody that like Sam or Jesse or Fiona <laughs> said Michael would help. <laughs> right. Like someone bought Sam a beer and now we're beholden to them for an episode and a half. <laughs> right. Uh, but, you know, every once in a while near the end of the season, like there would be probably someone who suffered collateral damage. I mean, usually it was like Fiona and Sam, you know, because Michael just like had to fight his war. Yeah. So... We've made a lot of reasons that Kalistar would not be members of an adventuring party because it turns out they've got a lot going on. Um, but what are some reasons that Kalistar would be adventuring? Well, you could just be following the path of light, you know, creating good in the world, ending evil where you see it. All of those actions, according to your religion, hasten the turning of the age. They hasten the coming of whatever this new good spirit is in Dalcor. So great. You're out and 
helping people and you know making some money and uh getting uh getting some experience so you could be better at fighting the dreaming dark it's all good your adventuring could also be directly you know fighting the dreaming dark right like there are there are plenty of adventuring groups that either by direct intent or secondary intent are combating the dreaming dark so hitching a ride with one of them certainly doesn't undermine your greater purpose yeah, the Dreaming Dark could very easily be the big bad of your campaign. You know, they are a big, uh, multi-continental evil organization with lots of power and the ability to conduct sub- subterfuge, and they're likely plotting coups in multiple nations. Like, and, they should be defeated. <laughs> and they very well could have pulled off the Day of Mourning, whatever the Day of Mourning actually was. Oh, absolutely. You're, that's 100% right. Of course, Kalistar um, being, as they have to keep that low profile in our uh, locked into a war for their very existence, often find themselves on the run. And uh, it turns out if you've got to run from a uh, a multinational evil organization, then it it tends to be easier to run if you're running with four or six other people that are capable of defending themselves and you. <laughs> right. So like, yeah, hey. I'll go raid this tomb with you for, for magic items. <laughs> Don't let me get killed in my sleep, please. That would be great. <laughs> Hey, four other 15th level characters who are essentially the equivalent of an army battalion each? Great. (laughs) Uh, It could actually be something much more uh, quiet or internal. You could be on a journey to discover yourself because Kalistar have this dual nature. Um, So much of who you actually are is alien to your physical form there's there's a part of you that's been alive for thousands of years and will exist hopefully for thousands of years after you die um how do you reconcile those two things what what does it really mean to be you like what is you who are you that's something that you can really explore and investigate while you know traipsing around solving problems and fighting monsters Uh, it's also possible that uh, you're adventuring because you have lost control um, and while it seems unlikely that Kalistar would maybe cast one of their own out, um, perhaps you have sort of imposed this as a as a safety precaution on yourself, right? If you um, like, if you're a wild magic sorcerer who can't fully control uh, her emotions, then perhaps you have said that I need to go um, be separate from our community so that I do not become a liability to more than myself. Oh, that totally seems like what a lawful good wilder would do. Right, I I got I gotta leave. This is no good for you. So in terms of classes, I I really like the design of this particular race um, because those are the stats you get: plus one to wisdom, plus one to charisma, and then plus one to an ability score of your choice, which could be wisdom or charisma. So if you want, you can have plus two wisdom. You could also have plus two uh, charisma, or you could just have one to three stats which is really great for a lot of these multiple ability-dependent builds. Mm-hmm. It's much better than something like Triton, which like forces you to get plus one to three different stats, which may not even be the stats you necessarily want. Right. So you make a great sorcerer. Um, you can have plus two to charisma, and it's a really good match for a Kalistar Scion. Because if you, if you think about it, like Scion is typically intelligence-based. Um, we don't know what it's going to be. I have a feeling it will be when we get final rules for it. But a, a mm. Kalistar is really like casting from the power of their soul, right? Within, not necessarily from like learning from books. 
Uh, Paladin and Bard also make a lot of sense um, because of that plus two charisma um, or, you know, the ability to add charisma and another stat. Like, you can get your strength or your decks up to to assist as well. Um, And then, of course, Paladin being lawfully aligned, that's kind of a natural natural landing place for a Kalistar. Yeah, your whole life is a crusade. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then a, a Bard, on the other hand, right, like you get to take advantage of all of your mental capabilities and sort of your strong mind uh, and and sort of that natural leadership um, fitting into that sort of group dynamic. And, of course, with uh, High Charisma, Warlock works really well. And I really like any of the patrons uh, to um, stand in for your spirit, whereas, like, the Cory wouldn't be a separate patient, patron that you talk to. Um, it, it just is... Ref- it reflects the additional abilities that you're getting because of your, you know, strong soul and this is bond with this, um, you know, this immortal spirit that goes back thousands of years. Yeah. And then of course, on the wisdom side, Druid and cleric are the natural fits. Um, <laughs> well, Druid cleric and monk are the natural fits. Um, all of those work pretty well. Um, though I think Druid is probably the least natural of them just because mm-hmm. Druids don't, don't typically have a particularly lawful bent um, and also tend to be more connected to nature than they are to sort of humanity um, or, or at least like sentient life. So that, that's a little bit of a, of a stretch for Kalistar. Yeah, it's interesting. The wisdom-based classes, um, the stats work for Druid, but like personality-wise, I think it would be quite rare. Um, and I think that Kalistar healers are probably more likely to be bards than clerics. Um, so if you are a druid or a cleric, uh, just sort of ask yourself, what is it that sort of drew you to this strange occupation? Oh, come on. Path of light, cleric of light. What's the difference? (laughs) Path of light. By that, it means fire, fire in your face. (laughs) So in combat? Kalistar tend to be pretty effective, um, very tactical, and rather cautious. Um, they know that they're losing their life is a great loss to their entire race. Yeah, and you know, they control themselves. Why wouldn't they be controlling the situation or the battlefield? They're, they tend not to be cruel. Uh, they're often willing to give quarter, although I think it's important to remember who you're fighting against. If it's an agent of the Dreaming Dark, and especially if you're fighting against an inspired or even like uh, a manifested evil quarry in like physical form, I think it's very likely you might be vicious, like absolutely no uh, mercy given and like going for the killing blow right away. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know that. I don't know that they would necessarily feel that way against agents of the dreaming dark, but Mm. definitely against inspired, right? Like, but the dreaming dark could just hire uh, assassins, from anywhere (laughs) right like they don't necessarily have to be inspired to be assassins of kalistar so i think they might offer quarter to hired hands that they wouldn't necessarily offer to like inducted members oh just wait till we get our character ideas for the mind hunter okay no quarter asked no quarter given probably so in terms of skills the kalistar get to choose either insight intimidation performance or persuasion and just get automatic advantage on it uh which is pretty powerful yeah i like uh mechanically speaking that this is something that stacks with a lot of other 
um, ways to sort of bump up your skill check. Um, sure, you can't use the help action, but that's fine. You're kind of getting an automatic help action from your own soul, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, it's pretty crazy that a bard or even just a rogue with expertise and persuasion is also granting themselves advantage. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, the gambler. Do we need to revisit the gambler? Oh, yeah. The gambler is definitely a uh, a Kalistar, I think. I think re-rolling a die is less powerful than that. <laughs> so, Ishan, have you ever played a Kalistar? I actually haven't, but they're really high on my list. Um, and, yeah, I know a couple of other people who've been talking to me about, like, possible ideas for a Kalistar character. Yeah, I, I think we didn't choose Kalistar um, in the Morning Glory campaign, so they weren't heavily featured. Uh, but as we talk about going back to Eberron and playing in, like, you know, an, an, a, a Morning Glory adjacent campaign, I think that is a big unexplored area that if I don't play in, I hope that somebody in our group does. Because um, I think, like, they just make such their natural story has such a great big bad in the dreaming dark. Like it would be a shame to leave that plot hook just sitting on the sidelines. Yeah. I really like how, yeah, I think it happens to all of us. You have this character and you know, you're, you're into the storyline that's happening, but you're just sort of looking at your character and going, I'm not exactly sure why they like are motivated to do a thing or leave the thing or, or to follow a, a particular thread and Kalistar. Well, there's always something for the GM to sort of push you along or chase you or dangle in front of you to pursue. Like, unless you've destroyed the dreaming dark, you have a goal. Right. Yeah. Like, does this thing in some way tangentially hurt the dreaming dark? Cool. I'm all in. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> I'm a lazy Kalash dark. Doesn't matter. They're coming for me. I got to run. Right. <laughs> all right. Do you hear that, Ishan? It wasn't the proper knock here on the Enclave door, which means we've been found out. Well, then we better roll up some new characters because the Dreaming Dark is going to get us. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And here is a word from the newbie DM minicast. All right, so my bosses James Intercast and Rudy Basso asked me to record a commercial for the newbie DM minicast, my new 5 to 10 minute podcast aimed at giving dungeon masters quick nuggets of advice. But I've never cut a commercial before, so let me see what I could do. <clears throat> Best radio voice. All right, Newbie DM here inviting you. Oh, oh wow, that's terrible. Hello, uh, Newbie DM here inviting you to join the minicast. Wow, that's bad. This sucks. I'm never going to get this commercial for the Newbie DM minicast done. And James and Rudy are going to be mad at me. Well, you know what? Let me just put this aside for now and get back to recording another episode of the minicast where I give out some hot DMing advice and I'll come back to the commercial later. Sorry, James. Sorry, Rudy. It's not going to happen right now. And we're back. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the Mind Hunter, a psychic tracker who makes excellent use of divination abilities to make sure that no quarry ever gets away. Ah, uh, get it? Quarry? Quarry? Eh? Eh? Ah. Uh, okay. So what is the build? It is Divination Wizard 9, 
Shadow Sorcerer 8, Paladin 2, Hexblade Warlock 1. Okay, good. This is going to be a fun one to update the codex for, but <laughs> let's get started. <laughs> Wizard, uh, ninth level, that gets us uh, fifth level spells. And as a divination wizard, we're going to get the expert divination ability at level six to regain a lower level spell slot. Yeah, when you cast a divination spell, you can regain a slot lower than the slot you just expended up to fifth level. Um, now, normally in the past, this hasn't really done that much. Like, okay, you cast, uh, you know, arcane eye, and then later you can cast the invisibility. Woo. But with the advent of Xanathars, we have the second level spell, Mind Spike, which actually does damage. Hey! And you can upcast the spell um, up to, you know, fifth level, and then regain a fourth level slot. And then next round, cast it at fourth level and regain a third level slot, etc., etc. You can essentially, um, at will, Mind Spike. You never run out of these high level damaging spells. Yeah. Now, since you regain a slot, just uh, make sure that you have expended low-level spell slots first. This usually isn't difficult. You know, you're always going to, like, use a shield or an absorb elements, um, something like that. Um, you got a lot of, like, second and third-level utility spells that you sort of want to um, use just so you have one to two uh, available slots that you can regain so you're not, you know, missing out on this. Yeah, and then it also, I mean, that ability just generally gives you a chance to use your... Um, utility spells without uh paying the heavy cost of other non-divination combat spells right so things like see invisibility or tongues um arcane eye detect thought like things that don't have a huge use in combat necessarily um see invisibility obviously does um but you can use those spells without the risk of like reducing your combat capability later on in the rest period yeah, and uh, these are actually great spells to sort of toss out of the way because l- many of them last so long and they don't require concentration. So, like, sure, I may as well see invisib- invisibility for an hour. Why not? I'm going to get that slot back anyway. So from Sorcerer, obviously you're following the Path of Shadows. Uh, you're going to get a neat little save versus death ability one time per day at first level. You'll get up to fourth level spells, and you'll get sorcery points, which can be used in a variety of ways. Uh, yep, you can always uh, eat your lower level spell slots to gain sorcery points, um, to create higher level spell slots for Mind Spike, to then regain those lower level slots back. Eh? Yeah, because you can't really do anything with those first level slots because there's not like a damaging first level divination spell to cast and you're not going to get a, regain a slot anyway. So you just end up with like all these first level slots that you just upcycle. Um, you can also spend sorcery points to give yourself dark vision. And then, of course, you get meta magic. So, quicken spell, twin spell, a um, couple of the most powerful options in the game. Yeah, twin is really nice on mind spike, of course, because it's doubling your damage and you know hitting multiple targets. Uh, so, you know, you spend those, you use, you basically waterfall down to a bunch of first level slots. You turn them into sorcery points. You then quicken a high level mind spike and just begin the entire cascade all over again. Right. So the. Uh, Shadow Sorcerer also gets a pet in the form of the Hound of Ill Omen. Yeah, pretty hard to hide from a dog that always knows your location. Uh, Then, of course, we've got two levels of Paladin, which means we are chasing Smite. Hey, it's something else to do with all those first-level spell slots. You don't want to turn them into sorcery points? That's fine. Just turn them into damage. Yeah, throw a couple extra D8s on there. 
Um, and then from Warlock, we'll take Hexblade so that we can use Charisma as our attack statistic, uh, meaning we don't pay any penalty for being in uh, combat. Um, and I think uh, in addition, just make sure you pick up maybe Green Flame Blade or Booming Blade because you're only getting that one attack, so you just want to stack as much as you can on it. Uh, so what would you do in terms of leveling order? Um, I think I would probably actually start Hexblade. Um, and reflavor the patron as you know my my quarry spirit because you know hexblade one is strong you've got attack and damage all out of your charisma um, and then from there I would start going probably wizard six to get mind spike going uh, shadow sorcerer three so that I've got mandamatic points paladin two uh, and then I'd finish out wizard and then sorcerer. So, Ishan, who is your mind hunter? So, like I said before, my mind hunter asks for and gives no quarter. Um, she would be a vengeance paladin if she made it that far, <laughs> but she got a oh. bit distracted with stabbing people in the brain with her own brain. Um, she is uh, a member of an elite Kalish Darcel in Corvair, who has been raised to follow the Path of Shadows. And she knows that her purpose is to locate members of the Dreaming Dark or the Inspired Reagent Ambassadors, whomever, uh, and eliminate them uh, with without prejudice. She mm-hmm. finds them, she hunts them down, and she kills them, often by creating a, a mind blade or a soul blade uh, in her hands. Uh, sometimes it takes the form of a melee weapon, sometimes it, uh, you know, a packed weapon, perhaps, or something akin. Uh, sometimes um, it's uh, just a, you know, a ranged projectile of pure energy that she, you know, hurls with her hand. Maybe it ends up being invisible. Perhaps she just uh, fires mind bullets. But in any case, they're always deadly. Um, she always finds her mark and uh, drives the spike home, if you will. What about your mind hunter? So my mind hunter uh, is similar in the sense that uh, he is going to be chasing down a lot of the inspired and gaining uh, revenge on the dreaming dark, uh, or at least carrying out the war on the dreaming dark. But mine, my my poor Kalistar, he's not he's not in it for the uh, the greater good. He's not fighting the uh, that huge battle against the dreaming dark. He is just out for vengeance because. His enclave of Kalistar was massacred uh, mm. when he was just a boy, and he's the sole survivor, and uh, he became a warlock uh, very close to that moment because he communes with the dead spirits of the Kalistar that he was raised by. Um, oh, I but like it. Given, given that he had no Kalistar monks to raise him in the Path of Light, um, he has no training as a monk. He was too young for any of that. He kind of had to find his own path, and it meanders quite a bit, right? But um, he is singular in his uh, in his mission to um, exact his vengeance upon every single member of the Dreaming Dark who was responsible for the death of his family and his community. And uh, any other members of the Dreaming Dark who want to stand in his way, he is happy to cut them down as well. So wait, so how old was he when this happened? Does he even know his name? Like his Kalishtar name? 
No, probably not. Like I, I'm, I'm feeling like he was probably like ten or eleven, right? Like probably prepubescent because Shadow Sorcerer hasn't quite like developed yet because that's a later mm. level. So that- once again, I'm playing a child, <laughs> or more likely, <laughs> not playing this character until we started a higher level. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I like this idea that it could even be that, like, he doesn't even really know he's a Kalistar or, like, what he is, you know? He knows he has visions of crazy far-off places and weird dreams, but, you know, so do a lot of kids with trauma. Yeah, I mean, he might actually be, like, totally passing in society as a human. But, oh, you yeah, know, yeah, totally. You know, a human warlock, I guess, as, as much as that passes. <laughs> a 10-year-old who occasionally creates weapons out of thin air. Right. All right. Before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. You can also leave us an iTunes review. Uh, If you leave us a five-star review, that helps other people find the show, and we will read it on the air. So this week, uh, I am reading More Smart Than Funny, But Still a Lot of Fun, Five Stars by Bill Byrne. Bill writes... I hate iTunes, but your podcast is worth it. Great format, funny without being dumb, one of the best D&D podcasts. Without being dumb? It's high praise. I'm surprised. (laughs) I mean, there is no higher praise than somebody who didn't already have iTunes being willing to get iTunes to leave a review. (laughs) I I still haven't. (laughs) iTunes is the literal worst. (laughs) But you you should definitely log in and and give us a review. Once. (laughs) All right, what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about post-apocalyptic games. And in the character creation forge? We're building Furiosa. I believe it's Furiosa. Ah, of course, sorry. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's it for episode 164 of Total Party Thrill. But I I hope we've lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. (laughs) Furiosa. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. (laughs) I like when we make ourselves chuckle.